know this. Introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast, not PS. Tooling Semantic. Special dedication all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWT Semantic. Yeah, me know. Boom! Tooling Semantic. Yeah, me know. Big ups to the man. Tooling Semantic. On another episode of Soothing Semantics, I am your host, Rafi Pinsky. Make sure to subscribe, like, share, and leave your comments. Today, we have Noam Weissman on the show. Noam is the Executive Vice President of Unpacked, which talks about everything Judaism, everything Jewish, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Israeli and Jewish history. If you're looking to understand more about Judaism, whether you are part of the Hebrews or not, make sure to give it a, a look. They have been around for quite some time. Check out their YouTube channel, uh, and I'm going to make sure to drop all of the other uh, platforms as well, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, etc. In addition to Unpacked, Noam is a Jewish educator with a background in educational, educational psychology. You do uh, kosher pizza reviews, so we're going to talk about that. And you like to uh, use the word nuanced, supposedly. See? I do. I do. And I'm you ran... the word nuanced, though. Sorry? I'm nuanced about the word. Nuance. You're nuanced about the word nuance. It's a good word, man. I use, I honestly, I use the word pretty often myself. So uh, before the recording, before the uh, last time we were trying this out, we went for round two, well, technically round three. Uh, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have the audio. It had a little bit of a, a hiccup before. So you were mentioning that pizza could help solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, man. How so? Oh, hundred percent. I think pizza is one of the few things we could all agree on. Now, we might not agree on every single slice, and you might want some people might want a better undercarriage than others, right? Um, and some people might want a sweeter sauce or a saltier cheese. All of these things are possible. But at the end of the day, who doesn't like pizza? There are some weird people. I've met a few people that don't like pizza, and it's very, very strange. Yeah, that's, that's I think though, though that's the most... If someone doesn't like pizza, as opposed to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I would say that's the most intractable conflict out there. Because that's, right. that's, well, that's difficult. There's great kosher pizza out there, by the way. There really is. I know people like to hate on kosher pizza, but, you know, I think there's great kosher pizza out there. I do. Give me your top three. Oh, top three is always hard, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. So I would say, first of all, I used to love Vabene on the Upper East Side. It doesn't exist anymore, but it's... It where, was, where, where? On the Upper East Side of Manhattan... My wife is from there, and we used to go to Vabene a lot. Couldn't afford it. Never heard of it. It's excellent. It's like high. It's like high end fancy pizza, one of those places. But there's a place called Saba's on the Upper East Side, which I think is excellent. There's a place um, in in uh, Aventura, North Miami Beach, uh, called Fuzo, which just massive shout out to Fuzo. I think it's very good stuff. Very solid fire. pizza. I think it's fire. And um, in LA, like that, I, I where I lived for eleven years, there's a place that was just down the block for me called Pizza Mark, which like sold pies for 12 bucks back in the day. That's insane. Not back in the day, two years ago. That's crazy. That's not a thing in the Jewish kosher world. $12 for pie. And it was good. It was thin. I like, I'm a thin crust kind of guy. Yes, dude. So I'm, I'm very much a Dave Portnoy. I, I model after him in terms of, I don't like when the crust flops. Listen, I'll eat it. I'll eat a, a, a floppy crust. But when it's nice and sturdy and it's got a crispy crust, Undercarriage. 
Yes, dude. Yeah, that's what I, I knew. I knew that's what you meant by undercarriage. Makes me think of miscarriage. Huh? Miscarriage is terrible. Oh, that's so then, it's horrible. So then, and then the crust, <laughs> dark humor, man, dark humor. And then the, 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 when the crust is nice and crispy and the cheese is, there has to be enough cheese too. So some of the thinner crust pizzas don't have enough cheese and that's very problematic because I'm, I'm cheese over sauce personally. Very, super you important. You want more I want more cheese. cheese. Yeah, I'm more, I'm more pro cheese. Do you put anything on your pizzas? I love olives, green or black, doesn't matter. I like mushrooms I'm down with. I'm not a big raw onion person. Sorry, onions I'd rather skip. Extra cheese is good. Um, let's see. Uh, not feta. What am I thinking? Um, help me out here. Feta I could do. Parmesan? Parmesan for sure, but I was thinking of another cheese, and I don't know why it's slipping my mind. Lasagna cheese. Oh, I, I've literally eaten it for every Shavuot since I was a little kid, and I can't remember the kind of cheese. What do you put in lasagna? Oh, my God. It's, it's ricotta. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So some ricotta is, is good on, on pizza. Nice. What else? Pineapples and no go. No, I don't do that. I don't mess um, with that. Yeah, man. I mean, so Brooklyn has great spots. There's pizza time. There's Benny's, which is incredible. Benny's there the is, they're all in like the same radius. So Avenue J. You also have J2, Jerusalem 2 pieces. Oh, very solid. I think it's good. Classic. I grew up I eating it. It's good. Yeah. I like Bravo pizza. I, I like their love. Bravo's is good. Bravo's, Bravo's is great. Good. You know, shout out to all the kosher pizza stores out there. Keep keep doing your thing. Keep providing. You're gonna you're gonna bring peace to the world eventually. Just don't charge so much sometimes. <laughs> That's the problem with kosher in general, man. It's just an arm and a leg for everything. But there's some good stuff, man. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so I do think pizza can bring world peace. We should have a Palestinian Israeli run pizza shop. I think that would that would help. Yeah, be some arguments. Sure. Some pizzas thrown at, at each other's faces. We made a film about hummus, by the way, years ago. We made a film okay. called Hummus, the movie. Um, and it's about hummus. That's what it's about. Because like people like hummus. Now they're Muslims in, in, in Israel and like in that region that you know want to claim it as their own, and then they're Christians that want to claim it as their own, and they're Jewish Israelis that want to claim it as their own. Like, but at that, but like homes could bring people together. Pizza could bring people together. Good food could bring people together. Absolutely, man. Food and music. Music is powerful. I would say music yeah. realistically is the most powerful thing. What do you, what specifically? Well, I mean, take a singer like Sarid Haddad, right? Okay. Sarid Haddad is just Arabs lover. Absolutely love her. She sings in Arabic, Greek, English, Hebrew. She's one of those singers that brings everybody together. Then you have Tzion Golan, the, the Timani singer, the Yemenite singer. Yeah. Yeme Yemenis love him. Mo a lot of Muslims in general love the guy. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot, even Eyal Golan, man, a lot of Arabs love him. So, And then you have it on both sides. You have some singers that are, Arab singers that are very well loved by, by Jews. You, you know, you have uh, Amr Diab, the Egyptian singer. I don't know if you know a lot about Arabic music. Should I listen to Amr Diaba? I think his music's amazing. He has some really nice songs. I'll send them to you. So, but music is, in my opinion, what really, really brings people together. We have a lot of great Israeli singers that sing Arabic music, and they're very well known. So it's very interesting. It's kind of like um, relationships. If you're going to focus on the thing that divides you, you'll probably continue to be divided no matter what. Um, but there are a lot of things that could connect people. So I know we're joking about pizza and music. 
and food, but I, I, <laughs> I think that there's something to it. I do. When I'm, I'm in 100% agreement. Yes. Yeah. The more we do that, the more we can actually get along. It's very interesting because we're all just a bunch of nut jobs, humans, you know, just a bunch <laughs> of crazy people. Yeah. <laughs> It is what it is. When you step back for a second, you kind of realize that. It would be nice if we all kind of step back for a second and thought about it. Yeah. But um, okay, so I, I really have so many questions for you. How did you? How did you? How did Unpacked become what it is? Great question. I mean, it's taken a number of years. We've had a great like. It's a it's a team of people. That's really what it is. A team of people with an idea. Um, so like the idea was pretty simple. There are places like. YouTube channels like um, a Crash Course or like Wendover or Origin of Everything. Um, and all of these YouTube channels exist for general content. And we thought a number of years ago, what if we did the same thing, but for Israel and Jewish history? Like I remember when I was the principal of the high school, I once saw this kid roaming the hallways. Okay. And it's the principal. I go up to him. I say, yo, what are you probably didn't say? Yo, I may have said, yo, yo, what are you doing in the hallways? Like, I don't get what you're doing. Um, it's like, you're in this very intense teacher's class, this AP US history class. How can you be in the hallway? And he goes, no, or whatever he called me, Dr. Weissman, come on. Like, this is not, this is, I don't have to sit in for two weeks to learn about the war of 1812 when I could go on crash course and watch a 10 minute video on the war of 1812. That's super entertaining. Yeah, super entertaining. So, so our team said, why don't we do the same thing for Israel and Jewish history? Like, wh why not do that? So you can learn the entire history of Israel on YouTube. This is what we thought of four years ago. Um, you could put the entire history of Israel. And it has to be high quality, really a high production value and really good scholarship and also entertaining. And then teach the history of Israel, and that developed into the Jewish history. And then we went into anti-Semitism. Then we went into like Zionism, and now and now we're going to like broaden it out and do a lot of different YouTube channels. But that's what we—that's that was the thinking of of it all. We wanted to really—I I don't want to sound like too serious here, but we wanted to—and and you'll stop me if I sound too serious—but we wanted to democratize Jewish education. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to make it accessible to anyone and everyone, and we believe that everyone has a birthright to a Jewish education regardless of your background. It's a valid point. It's so funny how everyone knows what a Jew is, but so many people know so little about Jews. That's for sure true. So interesting. And I wonder why that is. Well, what, what do they know about Jews? What do they, what do you, when you say they know, like, what do they know? I think they know, I think people know a lot about us on a base level. They don't know us very well on a deeper level. I think they, have our, they have, and, and I wouldn't say it's just us. People in general are very right. ill-informed. Americans are very involved in what they are involved in, are very right. non-cultural. I think Americans are probably some of the least cultural people. They're very involved in celebrity nonsense. They're involved in sports. They're involved highly into politics. You know how the way, the way all these different news channels push all of this fear and agenda on them. So it's either just Kim Kardashian toilet paper, COVID, and whatever nonsense. But when it comes down to understanding different tribes, different religions, different civilizations, it just, it doesn't interest them. They want the short, quick, he broke up with her and she broke up with him and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, because Americans think they're the center of the world and they don't really have to know much about anything else. It's a great so, I just, I just want to interrupt you. I was just in Australia. Uh, my wife and I just came back from Australia last week. And... 
um, there's definitely a sense that Americans are quite American centric. <laughs> they very like, much just like the world does not revolve around you in the way you might think it does. It just doesn't. And how are we such a powerful country when so many people are just so close-minded? It's just, it's interesting, man. <laughs> yeah, I think, by the way, I'm, I don't mean to take away also, there's like, I'm always going to be like, it's like, I'm proud to be an American. I'm, I'm proud. Like I really am. I'm proud to be right. an American. And there, there are aspects of being a, a American that I, um, that I don't want to export to other countries. I think the hyper-partisanship that exists in American society is not something I hope that other countries take upon themselves. It's just not a very interesting way to live life. It's, right. it's really, it's, it's tribalistic to the point that uh, conversations can be boring. And that if you live in one area, you're going to think one way, you're going to live in another area, you're going to think another way. It's almost like we're, it's robotic. And, and learning to me is so, about so much more than that. So it's, yeah, let's not export that. I agree with you. Okay, so so with Unpacked, for instance, how do you feel that the message, say with anti-Semitism as an example, how do you feel that Unpacked has been able to relay a, a better understanding of why people hate us and maybe why they shouldn't? Well, I, I don't think that our, our goal is not to ex, ex, like tell, tell people why they hate us. I think that anti-Semitism is uh, one of the most dangerous, like the belief that Jews control the world is one of the most dangerous conspiracy theories of all time. Um, it is the most dangerous conspiracy theory of all time. And we did a six part series on the history of anti-Semitism and the different types of anti-Semitism and asking tough questions about anti-Semitism. Like, um, do Jews cause anti-Semitism or is criticizing Israel anti-Semitic? And we, what we wanted to do in these sorts of questions is we want to help people understand and in a nuanced way when something is anti-Semitic, there it is. Uh, there should be like a meter. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> my editor can make it happen. Don't worry about it. So like there should be like it should be, uh, you know, we should have an understanding when something is anti-Semitic and when it is not. We want non-Jews to understand um, how, how anti-Semitism um, is perceived by the broader Jewish community, um, understand the history of it. And we want Jewish people to, to be able to identify it when it exists. Um, but we also don't want Jewish people to define their Judaism merely by fighting against anti-Semitism. You, you hear what I'm saying about that? 100%. That's a very good point, right? It's a really, like, for me, it's a really important point. Judaism is about so much more than fighting anti Judaism was not created to fight anti-Semitism. You hear what I'm saying? Like, that comes, that's part of our, our neuroticism to some degree. You know, you we, we have, because, you know, a lot of Jews, especially, you know, the Ashkenazim, you have the, the stereotypical, like, Jewish mother, Jewish bubby, the, you know, the, on the Ashkenazi side, where they're very nervous. Don't go outside. The, the anti-Semites are there. You know, they're just, like, very nervous. You know, there's hot kugel inside. Stay home. Duh, just die, you know. Was that your, is that your impression of your, of your bubby? That's my Jewish bubby. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was raised, she, my grandmother didn't talk like that. My grandmother had more of like a, a tough Brooklyn accent, yeah. but the very timid, you know, nervous Jewish American grandmother. There's definitely, it's a thing. There's too many shows and movies that have done jokes on this. I know, I know I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> but either way, I've done this on, on other episodes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like what you said about not focusing on the on the negative, the anti, and fighting the anti-Semitism, but rather 
focusing on being Jewish and, and embracing Judaism is probably what you meant, right? I'm always going to believe in balance. Like, I think that both should be taking place. Like, I don't know where you went to, where'd you go to Jewish school? You went to Jewish school, right? Yeah. So did you, in your school, did you learn about anti-Semitism and those questions that I just mentioned? No. We didn't. No way. We, you know what, though? We were a very Zionistic school. It okay. was all kind of, uh, you know what? It's but what interesting. Do, but what does that have to do with my question about anti-Semitism, whether or not your school is on with it? Yeah, no, they didn't really teach it. Exactly. And... And I think that Jewish kids graduate Jewish high school very often and don't know that much about anti-Semitism. Just not that much. And I think so. it's important to learn about it, but I don't want people to have their identity driven by that. So it's it's like if there's a like a circle, there's a pot of like, like you, there's all different types of content that should like be prioritized in Judaism. That should be part of it. I just wouldn't make it 50%. You know what I'm saying? It should be part of it, though, more than it is. I couldn't agree more. And I would have been so into it because every time we had the Israeli Day Parade and I sent Terry Carta and my, oh, my, my principal, my, my principal would be kind of hanging out next to me. And I always lost my shit. I couldn't control myself. <laughs> and it didn't help at all. It was childish. I should have. No, I don't want to say it was childish. I think it's kind of understood that I got a little upset. But you know he was right. They want that. They they oh, want that. They want that response. They want the reaction. That you should know, Rafi. That's how I got my wife. I'm following. I, we were at an Israel Day parade, um, and the Tori Carta was standing there. I was two years older than her. I was in college. She was in college. She lives on the Upper East Side, so right near the parade. And the Tori Carta was there, and everyone's like, "What's going on? Who are these people? Heard of them?" I got up in their faces and I started like ad hominem attacks that I probably shouldn't have said. Just I like, started like making fun of their glasses and stuff. Um, <laughs> so so I, sh I shouldn't have done that, but that was my focus. And for whatever reason, my wife was like, I like that guy. And then um, she liked you because you had character and you were, you were that, you know, you were that lion Jew that was going up against the, uh, you know, the traitors. She's like, look yeah. at that hero. I want to marry him. Oh yeah, such a hero to be able to do that. But the, um, the you know, the, the, the Tura Carta was definitely listen. Any idea that provokes a listen, the the Zionists won this great debate between. This is the crazy thing about ideas. Zionists won. They won. Meaning, in the great debate between Zionists or Cook and the Satmar Rebbe, and the great debate between religious Zionists and Zionists and the anti-Zionists, clearly. The Zionists won. And yet, when we see the Nature Carta and when we see something like, um, we see something that's like an antagonistic towards Judaism, or sorry, look at that slip of tongue, antagonistic towards Zionism, um, towards the existence of the Jewish state, we get very, very upset about it. So we won. We won. Why are we like the victor when, doesn't typically do that to the person that lost? But we, there's something about them that like, it, like irritates us, like gets under our skin, even though we, we won 100 to zero. So like, why is that? Well, I, I don't think anyone likes a traitor. You know, you have, you have Arab, you know, you have Arabs or Palestinians that also go against their own. You have, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Mohammed Kabia. You have Mohammed Zawabi. You have, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Uh, uh, Yosef Haddad. You're probably familiar with all these names. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're arguably the Nature Carta, you know, 
the Arabs would consider them. I know. Really? Listen oh, to what wow. I'm saying. <laughs> I hear where you're going with that, but I don't. You get what I'm saying? Meaning, I agree with them. I agree with them, and I think they're very logical. But then again, they're helping my narrative. But on the so you're saying the the Zionist fear is that when someone sees the Torah Karta, they'll think if they're on the other side of the debate that like just like Zionists pro-Israel people love hearing Yosef Haddad. So see, an Arab said something positive about the Jewish state, so they see the Torah Karta and they're like, uh, see, the the real authentic Jews are in for Israel. I think people are smarter than that. Um, I think the smart people are smarter than that, but many, many, many Arabs love to put anytime a lot of Arabs, when there's a conflict, when there's, right. you know, Islamic Jihad recently sent the rockets, there's always some spurt of rockets. It always happens. And Natura Karta pops up and says, oh, you know, you have that rabbi with the really annoying voice. Rafi, I think it's more weaponized than it is actually um intellectually done. Meaning, I think if anyone spends even a minute of research on Google, they'll find that Nikuturikarta is so darn fringe. So darn fringe. And the, and the vast majority of Jews, the vast majority of Jews, not only don't identify with Nikuturikarta, but um, feel as though Nikuturikarta is, is in many ways not part of the, of the Jewish community. I agree. I agree with you. I'm playing devil's advocate here, but I would no, say on the other token, the Arabs can say, "Oh well, Yosef Haddad and these guys are also fringe guys. They're you know, and I, there are probably a lot more that agree with them and that won't speak up. Right, but, but they're probably right about that. They're probably right about what? They are fringe. Yosef Haddad is fringe. Right. So, but I'm saying, as, in terms of logical argument on fringe groups, most people oh, agree right. with their. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm not saying I agree with Nintura Karta. I think it's very clear that I don't. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can go into the whole Nintura Karta concept. If for anyone, everyone watching this, I just did my last episode was with someone who is formerly Nintura Karta, who grew up in it. So please uh, check out that episode so you can really That's get cool. more of a history from there. Yeah, I was excited about that. So, so in terms of, you know, going back to Unpacked, what are some things that you've really found that it's helped? Do you know, have you gotten a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people in the comments who aren't Jewish have said amazing things, you know, things they didn't know before. Yeah, it's not just the YouTube channel. It's, it's, we have, um, it's, it's really cool to see. It really is cool to see as we built this over the last few years. We have a TikTok account called at Jewish Unpacked, Instagram Jewish Unpacked. Um, and we have the YouTube channel Unpacked and we have different podcasts like Unpacking Israeli History and Homeland. And each of these different platforms provides a different, this is the way we think about it. We call it surround sound. That's like our bit. We probably stole it from somewhere. But um, it's, a, it's this concept that we want to make content wherever you are. If you're a TikTok person, we have the same enduring understandings, education jargon, sorry about that. Same goals, sorry, for, on TikTok, but to meet you on that medium as we do on podcasts. But there's longer podcasts. It can be longer form. People who want a deeper dive into the issue. And, you know, TikTok on the other extreme. So we want to be in, in both of those places. Really important to be in both of those places. And, and then, and then, like I said, in YouTube is like in between. It's like six minutes, eight minutes, 12 minutes kind of content. So, uh, I mean, we, we've, it's, it's been incredible to see. With unpacking Israeli history, for instance, we get 
hundreds of emails of people talking about how, you know, they have a, a much broader understanding of Jewish history and of Israel than they ever did. They connect more to Israel than they ever did. And, and here it is, bing, nuance, that people really are sick and tired of hearing a one-sided narrative about Israel. Um, either way, that's just not interesting to people anymore. We're in 2022 at this point, and people are able to Google things for gosh sake, right? And you're able to see that the story is more complicated than than how you may have thought about it when you were seven years old or 17 years old. And so that's what's happening. And you're and I I and and from my vantage point, the reason this is so important is people need a credible place where they can learn about Jewish history in Israel. They need this credible place, a place that's not gonna be right wing. A place that's not going to be left wing, but a place that's going to say, you know, here's the story. We come at it. This is this is important, and I tell I tell people all the time. This is the bias. We have a bias. The, there's a bias. The bias is that the Jewish state existing is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a good thing. It's it's a crowning achievement um, for Western civilization. Um, it's the most successful national liberation movement in, of all time, and that's wonderful. And there's the word and. This is really the way I see nuance. There are different ways to interpret things that have happened in society, in history, and and that's okay. And to to, to like demand that Israel be perfect on everything is just it's it's a it's it's a recipe for for disaster. Um, that's kind of what it is. To quickly interject, and I and this is a very interesting philosophy, but I feel like because of our chosen people, and and it's not that it's our claim; it's that that's what it is written in our in our. You know, Torah, people are constantly looking to find ways that we aren't chosen, you know, and I'm sure you've heard this concept before, but that's why Israel is always nitpicked where everyone is always has their binoculars on Israel and any little thing they can find, they go, ah, the chosen people, they messed up. Look at this, look at this, look at that. And as Jews, though, we, we take it to heart and we're like, ah, oh, you know, we should really fix that. And that's what I think makes us so, so special and so incredible is that unlike most countries who have a multitude, I mean, a multitude is such an understatement. They are so screwed in so many respects and they've been around so much longer than we are. We're constantly improving and innovating and fixing and repairing and apologizing and appeasing because people are always, you know, upper tuchuses and, and trying to find these issues. So, you know, I think that's largely why we, we keep progressing. The criticism. Criticism is the tax you pay for success. And, um, that's just reality. That's, that's the game. Like someone once said to me that, um, you know, when I was building curricula that you'll know you've made it when people start writing about why your curriculum is bad. And that's when you've made it. And the same thing is true for everything. Because if, if nobody's, because essentially if, if nobody's commenting on it and nobody cares about it, then, then so what? But if people start criticizing it, then, then you know that you've, that you've, that you've hit a hot button, you've done something. So accurate. I'm just processing. Give me a minute. That's, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, process away. But and, and the chosen people thing, you know, I I, I hear you on that. I, I I really wonder what it means that we're the chosen people. Uh, I think a lot of people wonder what that means. I think some people translate that as some sort of uh, hyper prideful. Uh, way to thinking like a chauvinistic way that we are superior to others but if you look at other religions 
and I think it's a misunderstanding of the church for people, which we could have a whole separate conversation about. But every religion essentially thinks that their religion is the great religion. So it's kind of funny that people have put this chosen people label. And it's not like one of the, you know, 13 principles of faith to believe that the Jews are the chosen people. This is not like something in Judaism that like we have to believe in. And every day we wake up in the morning saying we're the chosen people. And late at night we go to sleep and say, no, we believe in monotheism. And we believe that it's important to serve God and serve the one God. And so we say here, oh, Israel, God is one. That's, that's, that's our prayer. Not that we're the best. We're actually, in our, in our liturgy, we're, we're not even described as the best. We're described as the following, as I'll say it in, in Hebrew first and then translate it. That our goal is to observe the ways of God, to do righteousness and justice, which means that we're not chosen because we are better. We're chosen to do better. And that's a really, really important distinction. And if we're not going to be living up to those standards, then nothing about that means that we are the chosen people. We're the chosen people when we behave like a people that is doing great things. And like that's important for Jews to hear, and that's important for non-Jews to hear as well. Super powerful. So yeah, what, what, what I'm understanding from this, and I love that you brought this up, is it, it's not that we're necessarily better than other people. It's that we are given a certain responsibility that gives us a certain power. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. If we don't use that responsibility for the right reasons, then essentially we're no, we're no I don't like to say better, but we, we don't, it, it makes us no different than anyone else. So, yeah. well, and, and on top of that, just think about, the, I think that the Jewish people have done remarkable things in the world. I think that the Jewish people have done, have given excellence to the world. I think the Jewish people have contributed so much to the thought about education, to the focus on education. I think we've had unbelievable leaders throughout history. I think we've contributed so much to world philosophy. I think that the Jewish people, like, I'm, I'm proud. Like, I'm so proud to be a Jew. Like, oh, dude, so the Jews kill it, man. We kill it. We kill the game. Let's just call it what it is, man. Aside from sports, we were not very good at that. But otherwise, brain things. We are very good at brain things. And we're getting pretty good at the physical stuff, by the way. The army... Some UFC Israeli Israeli fighters. We're getting we're, we're we're working our way in there a little bit. Okay, that's true. I feel I feel like Chabad does a great job with those things. Like there's like like Chabad boxers, Chabad singers. You know, like Chabad Chabad contributes a lot to that. I I love Chabad man, but I wanted yeah. to say something along this topic. So Dennis Prager, Prager, you you probably heard of him. I think so. Yeah. Whoever hasn't, you can check him out on on YouTube. Just go to Prager P R A G E R. So so. Dennis Prager, he's this, this older gentleman. He talks about all different kinds of religion, politics. Uh, he more of a right-wing guy, very pro-Israel. And he was talking to Jordan Peterson on a Zoom. And they, they, they were wondering, they were trying to understand why do people have this hatred of the concept of Jews being chosen? And, and I think it was De Prager who said, there are many other groups who see themselves as supreme or better, right? The Aryans thought of themselves that way. Many other groups see themselves that way. So why are people so upset when the Jews have that claim or make that claim? Everybody acknowledges that Jewish chosenness is a reason for anti-Semitism. However, as I pointed out, Jews are a two-tenths of one percent of the world. Who gives a damn if two-tenths of one percent of the world thinks they're chosen? The Chinese think they're the center of the world. Middle well, chosen, chosen and successful might be ah, very... Thank you. That's correct. That's exactly right. 
So deep down, people don't laugh when Jews say they're chosen. They don't believe that Japan gets the sun before the rest of humanity, even though they are the land of the rising sun and as the sun is on their flag. But nobody cares if the Japanese think they get the sun first, but they do care if the Jews think they're chosen. So there's been a tremendous amount of resentment of the fact that maybe they are. But of course, chosen never meant better. Never. And he said it very well could be the fact that people actually feel that it might be possible, right? If you didn't think that it was possible, you wouldn't actually have this disdain for it. And it's an interesting outlook, right? But when you, when, so Jordan Peterson was talking about this, he said, they're so disproportionately, we're so disproportionately successful. We're such a tiny, tiny group of people and everyone knows who we are. And we have, we've made dents in every area of, of the world. You know, I think maybe a part of people are like, they're upset that we're so bold to make such a claim. I don't know. It's maybe it's far fetched, man. I'm not the one who said it, but it what, kind of. What's, what's the song? Here's my thought, though, to, to Jews. What's the song um, um, where the I'm, I'm blanking, I'm pathetic, um, where she's beautiful, and the, the reason she's beautiful is because she doesn't even know she's beautiful. You know the song you know, I'm talking about? No, it's, a no. Bieber. it's a classic. Um, well, we'll have to, well, you'll have to play it after you figure it out. She's beautiful. And what makes her beautiful is that she doesn't even know that she's beautiful is the concept of the song. Okay. I think that for Jews to be chosen, we have to not act in a way that is chosen. Meaning we have to, let me say that better. If, we're, if we, if we start believing our own press, then that's a bad thing, but we have to like be humble about it and do great things and, and, and um, observe and care about other people and 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 do good things for the world the more we do those things and don't believe the press about us then i think that the jewish people will do better things for the world and live up to the hype you know what's so interesting i completely love that what you're saying and i think it makes so much sense on the other hand it could be and it's a crazy thought is that feeling of being chosen is maybe what gives us this confidence that we're we're so capable and it, and you can argue that it's bad to have that feeling of supremacy but you know, there's an idea that when you're when you're overconfident, it can actually help you. You know, and well, I, I know it, it's there's also an idea that there's also an idea that I would call the Dunning Kruger effect in psychology that okay. people who are underconfident all all frequently have overconfidence, and mm -hmm. the, and it's it's an effect that they find in psychology all, often that incompetent people are often very confident. And so, interesting, yeah. So what I would want is for people to kind of behave in a certain way, including myself, I'm speaking to myself as much to anyone else, but to do as, as much as we can do uh, to become great people. And when we, when we act in, in a righteous way, when we act in a just way, when we, when we follow what the prophet said, which was to, you know, to care about the, those who are less vulnerable, who are more vulnerable than you. And we behave in this sort of way all the time. And we take service of God seriously. And we take, you know, care of our own people, our own family, seriously. And we don't just care about our own family. We look outside as well. It's hard, but that's the mission of the Jew. That's the mission of the Jew to at, at once care about our own people, our own family, our own particularism, and also care about universalism, also care about, you know, all the peoples of the world, because there are only 15 or so million Jews in the world. It's not the case that I cannot believe that it is possibly the case that the world was merely created exclusively for the 15 million Jews and not for Jews to help and without a mission to do something great for the world, for the billions of people out there. 
And mm-hmm. as opposed to the, and I'm not a theologian, but my understanding of, of other religions and some religions is that there is a, in aspects of, uh, of other religions, maybe Christianity, that there's a concept of uh, salvation through faith alone. And uh, what that means is that you have to be part of Christianity to, to get to the next stage. Judaism, we really don't believe that. You could be a great Christian and a great Muslim and, 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 and a great many other things and all good, all good, do your thing. Like we're not gonna, you do your thing and that's good. And so that's why I'm proud to be Jewish because I don't find, I, I'm not insecure about other people's religious beliefs at all, at, right. like, at all. I don't, well, yeah, that's the beauty of Judaism is that we don't have this need to push our agenda onto other people. Judaism gives the tools and the wisdom to think deeply about great uh, ways to behave, whether or not that's in the realm of forgiveness, that's in the realm of love, that's in the realm of happiness. There, like, I, I think that so many young people across the world um, have the same challenge. Like we said earlier in a joking, but kind of serious way about like pizza being the great unifier. There's also certain things in the world that uh, people are really suffering from, whether or not that's loneliness, anxiety, depression, all of these sorts of things. I think that so many of us are challenged by that socially, don't know where we belong, don't know where we stand. And I think that there's a great wisdom to be found in, in, in Judaism to help us think through all of these challenges. And we actually, uh, just one, one note, we made a series called The Power Of, um, w- about the power of Judaism to um, reflect on each and every one of these I- ideas. And so we made like the surround sound thing, we made videos, we wrote articles, and we produced podcasts on those topics. Because it's it's such a, again, wherever you, wherever, you'll find us wherever you, you, you bump into, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll bump into us wherever platform you're on. So that, that's the idea there. But I think that there's that Jewish wisdom has so much to contribute to the, the challenges of the world. I agree. I completely agree. Because nothing, even, even when we have all this technology, you have a, a, a book on, um, I'm trying to think, you know, say, Mesilat uh, Yasharim, right? Or, or um, a book on, on criticism, self-critique. Those books were written ages ago, and they're still very, very relevant. I always appreciated those books. I wasn't a very big Gemara or Talmud for whoever doesn't know. I didn't enjoy that nearly as much as I liked the the Musar. uh, I always liked those a lot, but they're very reflective. I just like to self-reflect and see what compare, see what I could kind of connect to and relate to. I always liked those the most. Yeah, I I definitely hear you. Listen, it was... Those books, I, I, I related to, uh, at different points in my life, I think I related to different uh, aspects of Jewish philosophy and Jewish wisdom. And so there were years where I was hyper-focused on Talmud. There were years where I was pretty focused on Musar, years of which is like ethical um, refinement and self, self-development. Uh, years, like I think that Tanakh, the, the Holy Bible, it's just the, the method of, interpretation and an exegesis that is required to actually understand what the Bible says. I think it's, it's awesome. And then at some point in time, I got into Israel education. I, I really thought that the way Israel has been taught, um, we really needs to, needs to change. And so I got into that. In what sense? 
Uh, and for years, Israel was done what's called Israel advocacy, where the way to teach about Israel was through um, a lens that was, you know, I like to say in like modern, like not modern, like silly parlance, just like rah rah shish kebab, everything Israel, blah blah blah, is the best. Israel's the best. Israel's the best. Israel's the best. And I love Israel. I love Zionism. I love all those things. But I, I noticed that that's probably, and not just me, many others started writing about how there are ways to do Israel um, studies in a way that's not uh, so focused on in indoctrination or propaganda, even if there are aspects of the propaganda and indoctrination that's true. Just methodologically, what's the best way to get people to think about something? What's the best way to get people to connect to something? And, and rarely is it the case that the best way to get people to connect to something in an enduring way or to get people to um, feel attached to something in a, in a way that's going to last is through being told what to think about something. So the, the, the method of Israel education, and you'll see that if you listen to Unpacking Israeli History and you, and you watch our YouTube channel, is to come from a framework, a basic framework that we, that we say you know, it's like there's a guy named Hanan Alexander who wrote this article seven or eight years ago called Mature Zionism. The idea is not to mature out of Zionism, but the idea is to have a mature understanding of Zionism and to be able to, you know, approach the story of Israel in a way that is um, objective, but with a point of view. And the point of view is that, like I said earlier, that Zionism is a, is a wonderful thing. It's a crowning achievement. And... Um, there have been real challenges uh, that have existed in Israeli history. Just like any nation state building, there are challenges. And I, I'd ha happily go over some of those challenges that have absolutely existed. Okay, well, we'll definitely go into those. But I, for people listening that are not, you know, that hate the idea of Zionism, that hate everything that stands for, how, could, how would you define Zionism in a way where it isn't the things that they feel it is? You know, and take, you know, a lot of, a lot of Muslims from Muslim countries see Zionism as, a, as a, this, you know, evil Jewish regime where we just want to kill Muslims and, and push our agenda. How do you feel you can you can explain it in a way where it's a beautiful thing? It's I mean, if you're a Palestinian and you're, you know, you that's the only Jew you've ever seen is and you're five or 12 years old is an Israeli soldier, muscular tan soldier um, with a M16. I can understand why that, and you've been indoctrinated in your textbooks to be told that um, the Jewish people have no connection to the land of Israel. And you, you include all of those things. I can imagine that those people wouldn't love the concept of Zionism, but I really, really think that Zionism needs to be taught just totally differently to connect people to it. Zionism is the thing. It's very simple. Zionism is, um, a, to quote A.B. Yoshua, it's a common platform, not an exclusive ideology. And what that means is you can be all different types of Zionists. There have been religious Zionists. There have been secular Zionists. There have been labor Zionists. There have been revisionist Zionists, cultural Zionists. And we're not going to go into each and every political Zionist. We're not going to go into each and every one of those things. But the idea is that Zionism has never meant one thing, but there has been a common platform. And the common platform is very simple. Any understanding of history 
of Jewish history needs to understand that the Jewish people did not have agency until the creation of the Jewish state, until Zionism. Until there was Zionism, Jews were on the side of history. And when there was a king or a queen or a president or a vice president that allowed the Jewish people, um, you know, access, then they were good. But they were the whims of sovereigns. With, with Zionism, Jews are entered, re-entered world history. Okay, so when there's an Evian conference, which is such an important thing to learn about, when the Holocaust was about to happen before the before um, um, before Auschwitz, before the concentration death camps, there was a conference that was organized in a beautiful area in Europe called uh, called uh, Evian. Beautiful little conference, and they had you know delegates from across the world come together to talk about how to solve the Jewish problem. Who's going to take in the Jewish refugees? And guess who didn't have a seat at the table? The Jews. There was one person who was there. Her name was Golda Meir, and she was an observer status. And guess what happened? None of the countries allowed the Jews in. With Zionism, with the Jewish state, it's not about the Holocaust. It's the, I'm using that as an example of something. With the Jewish state and with Zionism, what now exists is Jewish people have agency. Jewish people are able to actually be on the world stage and liberated the Jewish people. It was initially a very progressive movement and, and perceived that way even. It was a, it was a, liberal, it's a liberal movement of people saying, finally, we have self-determination. It's not just on, on the, politically though. This is what I, what I, it's not just explained to people. It's like, this is what Zionism is. So there are people that could really butcher Zionism and, and butcher um, uh, what, what this whole thing is about and start saying, you, you know, like you have no right to this land. Palestinians have no right to this land. Arabs have no right to this land either. And we, we're just, we're here and, and, and kind of not allow room for others. But that's not what Zionism is. Any movement can be butchered. Any movement can be can be mistranslated. And that happens all the time. But Zionism did something else. Zionism, I think, for the Jewish person, um, this is a line, I don't know where, where it's from, but it, it allowed the Jewish people to stop being question marks and, and to stand up like an exclamation point. And, and that's that's been a huge change for the Jewish people. The, the resurrection the revival of the Hebrew language is a remarkable thing. That's what Zionism is. All of those different things that I that I just laid out, and it's nothing to do at all in definitionally at all with the taking away of Arab rights or Palestinian rights to something. That's just not part of. I've never seen that be the definition of Zionism. I'll tell you one other thing that I've never seen be the definition of Zionism. I've never seen a definition of Zionism be that everyone has to agree with every Israeli policy. Never seen that as a, as a definition of Zionism. So I think we have to do two things. We have to first tell people on the one side that, like, of course I'm a Zionist. Yeah, I'm a Zionist. I've, and we should not be bashful about that. We should be proud about that. Um, but we should understand what it means to be a Zionist. And on the other side, we should uh, make sure that we understand that Zionism has nothing to do with uh, the, with with criticizing Israel or Israeli policy. Um, that is fair game. It happens all the time within Israeli society, all the time with, amongst Jews, and 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 that's okay. We're allowed to criticize Israeli policy. That's like part of the game. It's nice that we're actually we we have a government where we're allowed to, because uh, ironically, in 
many other countries that hate us and hate Zionism, they can't. That's that's what I find very true. That's true, and and there's certainly an irony. Uh, uh, there's certainly an irony, but like I said before, I want to stay consistent as best as possible here. There's we have no interest in being like those other countries. No interest. I don't want to be. I don't want Israel to be like any of those other countries that you mentioned. So I don't want to be compared to those other countries. Totally. I have no interest. And on the other hand, you see the hypocrisy of the United Nations, who the Human Rights Council has condemned to Israel more than seventy times, which is more, which is more, by the way, than every other country combined. This is a strange obsession. With, with with criticizing Israel. So when I say it's okay to criticize Israel and Israeli policy, I'm saying that within. And I'm also saying that without. It's okay. It's not like it's not impossible that Israel has, has, has had human rights issues. No, no problem. Every country has had that. But the obsession over it, as opposed to every other country, is it's just a little bit strange. And, and you know what it is, no, you know what I think it is? I think it's that they're they're willing to do it because I think they actually are under the impression that we're going to listen to some degree. Whereas there's a lot of other countries that won't give a damn countries that are, you know, will, will throw a gay person off a bridge. will will drag someone through the street on a motorcycle, you know, have, tie their leg to a rope, you know, do horrible things that Israel has never done and will never do. And those countries get uh, 100th of the, of the, you know, human rights violation complaints, so to speak. Uh, and I, I, that's what I feel it is. I feel that they say, you know what, Israel's, it, as much as we keep hounding them and, 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 and throwing all these allegations, they're the country that's more willing to actually change and, and work on themselves. And maybe, maybe it's subconscious, maybe it's conscious, but there's no other argument I can possibly think of other than people just not liking Jews. And I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I, I, think, I think it's part of it. I think, I think anti-Semitism is absolutely part of it, of, of, of a lot of thoughts on this. Thought number one is not everyone hates the Jews. Um, I really, I think it's important to mention that. There are philo-Semites out there, meaning people who actually love Jews. Um, and then there are many people out there who don't really give to darns about Jews one way or the other. Um, and there's also an anti-Semitic problem in the world, right? That's existed, by the way, anti-Semitism predates the Jewish people. Uh, what I mean by that is Egypt predates Sinai. Right, the slavery in Egypt is even before the revelation at Sinai. That interesting, where, right? That's yeah. It's ingrained. It's always been part of it. It could be. There's always going to be a reason. We're too capitalist. We're too socialist. We killed Jesus. We didn't. Um, we, we we're always the problem within society. I, I don't want to give too much credence to like to to why people put that on the Jew. I think it's. A, I think people are attracted to conspiracy theories in general. And I think that conspiracy theories are dangerous. And why us? Why us so much? Well, I, I think for, I, I mean, again, I don't, I don't want to give too much credence to any reason. So it, it could be the, the, there's, there's envy, there's jealousy, there's um, what's it called? Um, the idea that uh, uh, supersessionism, I, you have to check me on that term, but that the, the idea that once the Jews did not accept Jesus, um, the Christians became the new chosen people. And then, you know, why didn't you accept us? And and same with, you know, um, it happened throughout society, throughout history. If you look at Jesus, if you look at Muhammad, if you look at Martin Luther, in each of those instances, when 
the Jews did not accept these different religious leaders. Um, the Jews were hated. So Martin Luther initially, when he was creating the Protestant Reformation, was, was all about the Jews. And then the Jews were like, yeah, no, we're not going to do this whole thing. So we're out. And he's like, all right, you guys suck. So, and, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, and he, you got to see, by the way, one of our just cool videos, Martin Luther and the Jews, you got to see that history because it's crazy. People don't know about that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. Um, I, I, you never want to blame the victim. So I'm not going to be interested in to go to here are things that the Jewish people aren't great at. It's not that you know, we don't, we don't do victim blaming in society. So, so let's not do that. Um, and so, so I think that and the, the Jews have been pretty darn stubborn about their own stay, staying together and making sure that we exist. And that, that could be frustrating for people too, you know? So, and, and, and it needs to, it needs to stop. Anti-Semitism needs to stop and, and people need to solve their own issues in life without blaming it on the Jews. It, it's lazy. It's lazy. It's, 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 it's unsophisticated. It's brutish. And um, it's pathetic, frankly. 100%. I think as Jews, though, we've gotten much better since the creation of Israel, is Jews need to stand up to it more. Um, and I, I've spoken about this. I spoke about this on a podcast in, at length. I, I, I'll send it to you. I'd really like you to watch this and hear your, hear your thoughts yeah. on it. I, had, I interviewed a guy named Tony Katz. He has a radio show. Uh, I think he's in St. Louis. I'm trying to remember where he's based out of. And we talked about how a lot of Jews, especially in America and Europe, are very soft and they never want any confrontation. They're always keeping their head low. And there's a time for that. There's a time to just keep your mouth shut and there's a time to stand up. And there's a time to say what you got to say, even if you might get punched in the face, even if it might turn into a physical altercation. Too many Jewish people in America are too afraid to do that. And I'm not, in, I'm not, in, I'm not promoting violence. I am promoting self-defense whether that be verbally or physically yeah some people have to grow a pair they do because you can't rely on the government in new york you have all these jews crying to to um cuomo and de blasio and all these other people you got to help us you got to save us we need more security that's great they're not wrong but jews should have their own patrols they have showroom and all these other things but you know another to go off a bit on a tangent even though we're talking about anti-semitism is there are people that don't know anything about anti-Semitism and have no logical reason for hating Jews, but they'll pick on Jews because they're easy targets. So if, if you hate a Jew, but the Jew is six foot three, or even if he's five, nine, but he's, he's muscular, he walks, he has great posture, he looks confident. Even if you don't like him, you're not, as, you're not gonna start up with him as quickly as if he's hunched over, had, doesn't have a muscle on his body, no muscle mass, looks extremely disheveled and unkempt. Right. someone like that is is asking to get not asking to but they're more likely to get picked on bullied attacked so i think that's something that maybe people don't want to hear but that's my take and I'm, i have no apology for that so this, I, I hear you this is your podcast with your takes i like it that's me that's it <laughs> rafi pinsky that's my take that is my tent that is my take that is my four cents final words you'd like to throw in rafi we got to make sure that this world is is smarter and more informed and and more thoughtful and that we don't sacrifice one for the other meaning being more informed and being more empathic and being more compassionate all of those things can go together facts 
are good. Like I'm in the fact, like I'm in that world where like, I believe in facts. I think facts are important. And I believe that good interpretation is important. And I believe that to have a good understanding of something, you have to have a complete understanding of the story. So what I want to always demand from people is to say, hey, listen, you're allowed to have your opinion. Go for it. Have your opinion. But learn. And, and there's nothing holding us back anymore from learning, from knowing stuff. Ignorance at this point in time is, is a choice. And to not go on YouTube. And if you have opinions about Israel and you're not going on YouTube, watching Unpacked, learning Unpacking Israel History, and reading from other perspectives as well, check out other perspectives. Then, then you can't really have a full understanding of something. And so like what I constantly ask of people is to have literacy. If you're going to have an opinion, really learn the history, really learn the story. And then like, let's sit at the table and have a really thoughtful conversation about it all over a slice of pizza. Sounds good. Bringing it back to pizza. Coming for, for a full circle. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Guys, please check out Unpacked. Check it out on YouTube. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Let's focus, let's focus on I'm following it. On, I'll tell you, Rafi. On YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and uh, podcasts. Let's refine all the unpacked stuff. Perfect. Okay. I'm going to post all the links. Noam Weissman, thank you for joining me. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Enjoy your night, brother. Take care. Bye. Bye.